Welcome to Rail Evolution, the podcast where we dive into the most exciting developments and innovation in the rail industry. I'm your host, Amos Barziv, and I'm thrilled to bring you our first episode. Yes to technology! In this episode, we have two industry leaders, Mr. Maximilian Ahorn, Vice President of Digital Products and Services at Kroor Bremse, and Mr. Shachar Khania, Founder and CEO of Railvision. We are going to have an open conversation about how technology is revolutionizing the rail industry. They will share their insights and experiences and will discuss the past, present and future of technology in the rail industry. Trust me, this is a conversation you do not want to miss, as they will provide a unique and valuable insight into the industry. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. We welcome your participation and look forward to hearing your thoughts and feedback. Welcome everybody. So for our first episode, I would like to start off with a big shout out to our partners, Railway Gazette International and Railvision, for their support in creating this podcast together. Now let's welcome our guests, Max and Shachal. How are you guys? Hello. Great being w- here. Thank you very much. And I would like to start with um, really a brief introduction. Max, if you may, if you can start. Yes. Thank you, Amos. And um I'm heading um, the Digital Products and Service Business Unit for Knorr-Bremse Rail Vehicle Systems. Um, I joined Knorr-Bremse about two and a half years ago after working for Siemens Mobility for 13 years in various roles. Many of the roles actually were around digital products and services for the railways operators. Before that, I was a management consulting, also dealing a lot with um, uh, digital topics, but also with restructuring strategy implementation in the rail industry, in the transportation industry, in uh, building technologies. I'm an electrical engineer and um, I'm married, uh, have three kids, all teenagers, so also a challenge at home. <laughs> where, where are you from? Where are you based? I'm based in Munich. Um, since about five years, I came back from Australia after spending three years in, in Melbourne um, and originally, I'm uh, from northwestern Germany, from the city of Speyer, near Heidelberg, Mannheim. Thank you. Um, Shahar, may you introduce yourself? Give us a little bit of background? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, Amos. Uh, well, uh, originally from Tel Aviv, and then I moved with my wife to Kedumim, Shomron area. And my background is um, electro-optics, physics. In the military, I served as electro-optics expert. After six years of service, I joined Elbit, which is a well-known company all over the world, uh, dealing with military technologies, civilian aviation, some classified projects and some are not. Then I joined another company called Birdero Systems, in which I was uh, leading the technological effort for radar-based DIRCAM which means the tracker was RF and I was responsible for the jammer itself. And then after four years, we established Railvision. I was VP R&D to that. I was nominated as the CEO of uh, Railvision. That's it, I think. Thank you for that. So let me jump to the questions. Max, how has the railway industry been impacted by the incorporation of technology in recent years? I think the railway industry, which was actually relatively late impacted by modern technologies, the industry itself is is very conservative. It's a lot about safety, obviously, and uh, it's also very much um, dependent on the long life cycles of of the products. Yeah, the rolling stock, a locomotive, even a rail wagon 
is on the tracks for 30 to 40 to 50 years. And also on the signaling side, you have interlockings in the field, which are from the 60s, the 1960s. So what, what is important is first to keep this technology alive over this long life cycle. So it's a lot about obsolescence, but also to be able to integrate new technologies with old technologies and have a system which is still working. So the impacts are slower. However, we see, especially in the last couple of years, a significant increase of speed of leveraging new technologies. Yeah, I agree with everything that Max said. We see that either at the beginning when he started to work in Rail Vision and nobody even was knowing, just like what you're talking about. And, you know, with the help of the automotive industry, when then those ideas starts to grow in that industry, then a natural leakage started to take over in the train industry as well. So now you hear quite a lot of people. There is no, I think, one operator uh, in Europe or in the US that are not talking about the digital future of the train industry. It is quite obvious that the train industry cannot stay behind in that sense and has to be more efficient, safer, more controlled with the data. So it is quite clear that the future of the train industry is with a lot of technology. I think it's very exciting. Max, I want to ask you something about what you said. There is a lot of old technology, in my words, of course, needs to be updated. So because of the long life cycle, it's not about totally replacing the old technology, but more of taking the new technology and using the old technology as well, not giving up on highly reliable parts, right? Yeah, you're totally right, Amos. Um, it's, it's, I think um, you need to differentiate a little bit between the keeping systems alive yeah, and keeping them up to date. For example, if you have a door system, yeah, this door system obviously needs some maintenance, continuously checks, but it principally works for 12 to 15 years. And then you make an upgrade. You, you basically then exchange uh, the control and communication units in order to include and integrate the latest technology in order to have more functionalities, more reliability to that door. This is one element. But also you can add additional technology which was not existing at the time when the vehicle or the train was built. For example, uh, sensor systems which are provided by Railvision to increase the performance and to increase the safety of the system. That leads me to my next question, actually, and thank you, Max, for doing that. Shahar, can you provide some examples of specific technologies that have been implemented in the rail industry and the benefits they have provided? Yeah, sure, of course. All the, I was talking about the data collection and, uh, you know, now we know about the energy and the climate uh, issues. So every saving, every fuel saving is something that we want to encourage. So data collection helps quite a lot. You know, Knobremse has a product, some other uh, uh, solutions that helps saving the planet. So this is only one way to integrate technology with great benefits into the train industry. Beside of that, you have a sensor that will increase safety. You know, we just announced the contract with Israeli Railways in which our system integrated into existing locomotive and by that increased the safety. So it means that there's a problem of safety. Every accident might cause derailment with severe results. So this is where technology can help quite a lot. Max, in what way do you think technology <clears throat> can help improve the efficiency and effectiveness of railway operations? Obviously, um, we, we see not only in the railways, but, but in all industries, a significant trend to increase the automation 
uh, of the systems to get more information from your environment, uh, from the surrounding, also from the systems itself in order to understand in which uh, status each of the systems is. For example, if you know about the health of the doors in your train, um, you can obviously predict and start to learn when do you have to fix a door, to repair a door in order to avoid an unnecessary stop. Uh, similar activities or similar approaches are valid for HVAC systems or, or sanitary systems and also obviously for the brakes. Um, when it comes to environmental observation, it is obviously also of interest that when you are considering or thinking about shunting system, shunting operations, which is done typically at night or, or early in the morning, Many times uh, you have fog, you have cold weather, you have wind, you have snow or rain, and it's difficult to see uh, what's happening uh, in 50 or 100 meters in front of the loco or behind the loco. So uh, sensor technologies, as for example provided by Revision, help you to increase your perception to the understanding of the environment and with that obviously help you to protect the operations and ensure higher safety and more efficiency. Max, um, I know Knorr Bremse is offering this GPS navigation device, right? Can you share some more information about that as well? Yes, we have a couple of products around basically understanding where asset is. In our cases, obviously, it's about a loco or a wagon. Uh, we can identify the positions. We can identify the traveled time, the traveled distance. So with that, we can again predict about health status, for example, of brake pads, we can provide specific data to the operators that they know in which status is their wagon. For example, when there is a freight wagon, um, do you have a flat wheel? Uh, do you have had issues when loading in a yard container and there was a shock because the loading was not done in a smooth way? But we also have a product which uses, for example, global positioning or global satellite navigation systems which help locomotive drivers to save energy. Because if you have uh, the information on where you are, how the track is going to look like, is it going uphill, is it going downhill, and also know how much space you have towards the train in front of you, and you combine that with your current schedule. Are you on schedule? Are you behind your schedule? Or are you in front of your schedule? You can adjust the speed of the train, either by speeding up, by braking, or even by letting the train roll. And with that, we can prove energy savings of 5 to 8% uh, in wow. Germany and in the US. So there is a lot of technology using, obviously, proprietary technology, which is, which is very strongly related to Knorr-Bremse and its portfolio, but also we are using state-of-the-art commercial available technologies like, for example, global satellite navigation systems. Sounds fascinating. Shaha, you have two systems, the mainline systems and the shunting yard. I just saw a PR about a demo you did to a class one operator in the US on the shunting yard system, which right. Max uh, talked about earlier. Um, can you provide some more information regarding the demo and did they saw the efficiency and the effectiveness or if they can see any reductions? Yes. Of course, you know, whenever you integrate automation into operation, of course, you're going to benefit out of it almost in any case. But the main problem here that US operators suffers and not only in the US, also in some other places in the world, 
uh, is the human resource shortage. You know, because Max was talking before about the shunting yard, weather conditions, snow, rain, night. It is not a pleasant place to work in. You know, if you are out there, you have to uh, help a train driver to, uh, and direct him this way or that way. It is a very hard job, very difficult to, to conduct it. So by using our system, it can, a matter of fact, help quite a lot with that. I just heard from one operator that they it takes two months to train an employee. And then after two months, they just resign because they cannot stand the working conditions. It is not that the salary is bad. It is about the weather conditions out there. By having this kind of system involving sensor technology, artificial intelligence, in a matter of fact, we can reduce the persons or the employees uh, outside the locomotive and by that allow continuation of the operation and make it much more efficient. So this is a great message to the train industry in that sense. So the class one operator that witnessed that was very happy because they suffer from the same problem. Imagine that once you have an employee, it has to go from one side of the train to the other. Only that takes him so much time uh, and by having an autonomous sensor one side, then you save quite a lot in that sense. So it doesn't have to go, just transmit it once. Once you transmit it to a command control center, you don't have to go to waste time about just walking. So this is a great message to the train industry. And it looks that they are quite fascinated from it. And we'll see more and more players getting into that and conducting ATO especially in the switchyard and also later on we'll see that in the mainline operation. I've heard from quite a lot of people in this industry that they are kind of afraid that this will replace the driver. Do you have any input on that matter? So I, I think we, we, we have to face reality and um, the reality is clear that humans um, are trying to get more efficiencies out of everything they, they look into. When it comes to technology, we see that since hundreds of years. We also have driverless trains. They are reality. In the, in the metro worlds, in the mass transit worlds, many metro systems are driven without any driver or engineer or pilot on board. And people accept that, people understand that. And these systems are actually more safe and they are more efficient than the systems which are driven by drivers. It will take a lot of time until we will have similar uh, driverless trains on our mainline or shunting operations, but we are moving as an industry into this direction. I think it will take actually quite a couple of years until we have really commercial available products because uh, the mainline system in difference to the mass transit metro line is an open system. You can have multiple trains and locos from everywhere basically in the world traveling on your system and you need to ensure that obviously the safety is ensured. So it will take some time. We have first pilot projects where you have driverless trains in mainline environments, but these are also closed networks. For example, in Australia, there's a, a system from a huge mining company which operates driverless trains. Also here, I can proudly say that some of the technologies owned by Knobremse is, is part of the driverless train. Are you talking about that Autohall project? Of Rio yes, Tinto? it's the Rio Tinto project uh, where we are actually providing the leader system, this brain, to automate uh, the train operations and to ensure that the train travels at the right speed and 
to manage the in-train forces because you have different separated traction systems. You have more locomotives in the train. These trains are longer than one kilometer, what Shaha already mentioned before. So yes, uh, the auto hole project operated by Rio Tinto, it's an um, automatic train operations in a closed mainline network and at the end providing the speed, the brain uh, to the locomotive itself. And the hour system was installed for long-term pilot of about uh, four or six months. And this uh, system was running and uh, on an operational locomotive, collected data. And later on, you know, we could uh, validate the results and see that the system really works. And uh, to the day and night, 24-7 without any issue. So the future is here in that sense. And as I mentioned before, it is not a matter of unions to be concerned. It is about what are the needs and what is the reality. You not see any vehicle without a collision avoidance system. So would that replace the driver? No. The driver will be able to do something else. You just said that the name of the operator in the guy inside the locomotive is an engineer. So it means that he has quite a lot of things to do beside of looking out there, seeing nothing in a matter of fact, at least at, at night, and being irrelevant in the sense of safety. He has to monitor the system of the trains, the locomotive, to make sure that everything is okay. And this is exactly what we are doing. I would say that the airplane industry, the airplane flies itself. And you have a pilot and a co-pilot. On a ship, you have the same systems, and there are still like 14 or 17 people on board monitoring the situation, as well as trucks. And I think that the unions shouldn't be afraid at all, because at the end of the day, you do need an engineer on board just to watch over because, you know, so much at stake. If it's uh, people on the passengers trains or uh, commodities on a freight train or even in the shunting yards where, where you have a lot of employees. What do you think about that? I actually would, would counter this a little bit, uh, Amos, because... And also, Shaha, what you said, I think it's a question of the time horizon. In five to 10 years, obviously, and even in 20 or 30 years, there will be obviously still trains which are driven by drivers because, uh, as I mentioned at the early beginning, our rolling material and our systems, they, they live for so many, many years. So it's actually a transition period. And this will take 30, 40 years, I'm sure, until we will have a fully automated, fully autonomous in the sense of you don't need a person to operate anymore on a train and until then there will be various jobs required yeah from the driver of the loco to the engineer to people which take care of the systems but if you really look forward and, and have a really long-term perspective we will be able to automate it's the same in in manufacturing plants of the automotive industry, you today have very few employees compared to 100 years ago. Will a plane ever have no pilot or no person able to fly a plane? Probably not, because the risk of, of, of losing so many lives is, is very high. But you have autonomous little helicopters already starting to be built, yeah, where you have four people without anybody in the system. So it's a question of timing, I think. I have to say that I quite agree it's a matter of time. And you know what? With the, the question of yes to technology, with uh, basically what you're saying, that there will be more people needed to build the technology, to maintain the technology, and basically to do 
not to watch over the the track and and to see where the train is going or to know where the train is going but but more of the operation side of things like in the plant example you've gave okay shahar yeah. how do railway companies balance implementation of new technologies with maintaining the safety and reliability of their operations you know implementing uh, new technologies always takes time as Max just mentioned and it is all about statistics you have enough statistics to prove that the implementation or integration of the new technology is better than the current situation and you need quite a lot of time in order to prove that the same as the automotive industry that needed a few millions of kilometers of driving in order to start talking about this issue at all uh, so the same you Uh, applies here. You need to understand the use case, define as best as you can, and then start to collect data. And once you're collecting data through all of it, probably it will take at least half a year, one year, in order to prove that the concept of, uh, of improving the current situation. So this data collection, and then data management, and then data analysis, data exploration, and then running the algorithms, for example, onto the data, takes quite a lot of time and again the result have to be very clear it is all about proving and uh, validating okay the word validation here is very very important Shara I think it's great points and what we see is obviously also at the end the operators um, they have the responsibility to operate a train safely and we as a technology provider be it Knobremse or be it rail vision, Uh, we obviously have to comply with with requirements uh, for example certain safety standards or, or availability um, reliability requirements and what the operators and and our customers are obviously doing is trying new technology in shadow mode so we've seen more and more systems which are installed on locomotives or on the infrastructure which operate in parallel to the current rules and the current operational things Um, a system in order to prove that the new technology is at least as safe is at least as reliable is at least available at the current system uh, there are a couple of research projects ongoing uh, funded by the European Union but also we see a lot of activities in America in Asia Pacific activities where operators or other you rail stakeholders try new technologies with partners in order to prove that these systems make the rail operations more safe and more efficient and with that at the end provide a valuable benefit to not only the operator but at the end also the the train riders or the the freight forwarders uh, which are the ultimate customers of, of the railways do you think a closed system that has been developed by one company is better than a composition of a few systems like making a not hybrid but more of a yeah we can say hybrid like in a hybrid solution so the technology will be there tomorrow and not in a year two 20 30 if that makes any sense I think actually it is if you consider it holistically it's obviously good to 
to have various uh, technology providers in in the industry and we need competition competition is a is a good element in order to foster innovation and foster new technologies at the end it comes because of innovation and competition we are able to integrate our products and systems into other systems and uh, the receiving entity it's mainly the train builder they are also able to integrate and build at the end a, a running system it's also important that we design our systems that they are actually exchangeable yeah consider for example wi-fi yeah everybody uses wi-fi we have since a couple of years already now wi-fi on the trains but the wi-fi technology evolves very fast so it is not possible to have that Wi-Fi system in the trains for 40 years because the technology will be obsolete. So you need to be able to innovate a train, a rail car, also during the life cycle. So with that, obviously, it is important that you are having open interfaces, that you are having the possibility to connect our systems into a train um, or also from a train perspective, also integrate new technologies into your existing uh, train architecture. Well, I, I share the same uh, view on that. Uh, beside of, I think that the integration point between systems should be the competence of the specific product. Okay, for example, if you know to build an obstacle detection system, then you wouldn't like to uh, collaborate with a software company that uh, has its own priorities in order to uh, develop the control software into your system and everything works together so you can do uh, interfaces but interfaces has to go to the data and control you wouldn't like that the data will go all the way to some external control or computing unit that is developed by somebody else so everything together has to come to one encapsulated system that and once it is well-defined, then you can talk about interfacing with other systems in order to improve, to do synergy uh, with other relevant systems. So this is my, my view on that. And I would like to reply, Shah, because I think it's you need to draw a fine line. What is part of the core technology and what is something which you use just in order to have benefits from commercial off-the-shelf available technologies? Yeah. It's the same, like, why do hyperscalers like AWS or Microsoft Azure or, or Google Cloud exist? Yeah, You don't know exactly what servers are behind it, but you're using them because they are very well specified. So it at the end, obviously, it depends what is part of the core technology, what is part of the core competence of the core intellectual property or the intellectual design. And, and this obviously needs to be fully integrated, needs to fit and this needs to be specified very, very well and then also realized in a way that it is stable, that it is robust, uh, that it performs the function as per specification. And that's actually one of the challenges. I think what Shah, you said before, how to ensure, for example, that the software or data which you use is actually really representing the reality. And for that, obviously, you need also to know and need to specify very well the sensor data. At the end, it's, a, I think, a very complex system that actually makes it so so interesting, yeah? because if it would be easy, we all would not be here. Yeah? Technology uh, has amazing, amazing potential. We humans, we need to design and define what the technology should do. 
Exactly. And this is a great example that you just made about the cloud services. Infrastructure are not a thing to be developed by a company that has something else in the core technology. Uh, but everything that is related to the core technology has to be developed, in my view, in one entity. Let me not challenge, but me contribute a little bit on top to that, Shaha. What you, you can say? challenge because, her as well, you know, no problem. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But I, because you, you mentioned needs to be developed within one entity, I, I would challenge that because the, the, the corporation that actually also makes the rail industry very special, there is a strong integration of the various stakeholders in, in our industry. Yeah, I agree, but, you know, to some extent. So I want to ask you, what challenges do you see in the implementation of technology in the railing industry? I think there are a couple of core challenges, yeah. I would say, first of all, um, it is a little bit of resistance. The people in charge, yeah, because um, the railways, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a system which is actually very important for economy. So many people in our industry are a little bit hesitant to change something. Uh, because it's running, it's working, the trains are driving. And so with that, um, there's a little bit of hesitance to, to change a running system. Yeah, Never change a running system. It's a little bit of saying what, what some people here in our industry say. So that, that's one element. Um, the second element, obviously, is that people want to ensure if they use new technologies that there is a benefit to them. And obviously, because uh, we as the supply rail supply industry... Uh, we are obviously trying to get good prices on the market and earn some money and refinance our investments. So the end, it's also an understanding, a joint understanding of what is the exact benefit of using new technologies. And uh, for that, you need close discussions and interactions and also proof of concepts that you can show uh, what the benefit is and that you can at the end Uh, have KPIs, for example, increased performance of a system or reduced maintenance cost or reduced number of accidents so that you have some KPIs which you can then value and with that uh, build at the enterprise. And uh, one third point is obviously the homologation of the technologies in the railways. You always need a formal approvals. Many of the customers actually, I think more than the half of the customers are typically public entities. Yeah, the railways, um, the networks typically are owned by, by public entities. Um, obviously, there are also private uh, rail operators and private network owners, but there's also regulation and you need to get approvals. Um, even if you do a software change on a locomotive, which has been in operations for 20 years, you need to get an approval to, to implement that software change into the, into the loco. Interesting. Thank you, Shahar. And thank you very much. It was a great pleasure being here. Thank you, Shaha, for this uh, nice conversation. And thanks a lot uh, to you, Amos, for moderating and initiating it. Thank you. Thank you, Max and Shahar, for taking part in the first Rail Evolution podcast. I want to give a big shout out to Railway Gazette International and Rail Vision for their support. And for you, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to your feedback and participation in future episodes. 